Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What could be Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 53 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast, the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you on a journey to true Cage Nirvana. And how do we do that? Well, simple, by watching all of the works of the greatest actor of this generation, one Mr. Nicholas Cage. In that way, we get a better understanding of the man, the myth, the legend, the golden hog of Hollywood, and become that little bit closer to all-time greatness. Hope you've had a good week. Uh, not been bad here. The cinemas are back open. Uh, so I've been abusing that unlimited card to the best of my ability. Um, I've already seen Spiral from the Book of Saw and Mortal Kombat. Got the new Conjuring film booked in for next week. And then got um, Nobody and Another Round booked for June as well. Great to have the cinema back, that overpriced popcorn, that rustling of the bag during the um, most important parts of the movie. Uh, Mortal Kombat was okay. Spiral was good. Um, My favourite part was a couple that walked in 20 minutes late to Spiral and then proceeded to talk throughout the whole film. Oh God, how I've missed it. Speaking of films though, obviously we're here today to talk about another Nicolas Cage film. This time we're talking about Astro Boy from 2009. And in this episode, I'm joined by podcast king and royalty, Kevin Mahon. What a pleasure, what an honor it was to have him grace my humble, humble doorstep. Uh, we have a really, really good chat in this one. A really good episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So we'll get the admin out of the way. You can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast, where well over 750 of them Twitter followers now. Cruising on the road to 800. Hopefully we'll get there soon. On Instagram as well, at cageragepod. And you can find me in all the usual places that you find your podcast streaming services. That's Spotify, Apple, Deezer, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, iHeartRadio, Podchaser, and the rest. If you're listening on a service that you can leave a follow and a rating, like Apple or Podchaser, for instance, please do. It really helps the podcast grow. And with that said, we'll get into the episode now. All of Kevin's links and socials will be in the description down below. But again, this is a really fun episode, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So, from me, it's Daryl Edge, it's Kevin Mahon, Astro Boy, duh. So we're three quarters of the way through 2009, and move on to Cage's second voiceover role of the year. Now we're leaving the guinea pigs of G-Force behind, and turning our attention to the CGI superhero film, Astro Boy, as Cage voices Dr. Tenma, the father-slash-creator of the Astro Lad himself. Joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if Astro Boy is a son to be proud of, or if he ain't just no kid of mine, is host of the Attitude Era podcast, How To Wrestling and Cinema Swirl, and he's an all-round good egg. It's Kevin Mahan. Kevin, how are you today? 
I'm very, very well. Very, very happy to be on a Nicolas Cage podcast reviewing a movie with you, Daryl, that has a giant asterisk beside it in in terms of it barely being a Nicolas Cage movie. <laughs> uh, well, you know, this is this is the task I gave myself through thick and thin. Um, I'd get them all in. Um, and you've you've uh, you've scraped a bottom of the barrel choice here for cage pickings. <laughs> I mean, that's my own. It's my own fault. I've been hoisted by my own batard here. So you know, straight away to go into the to the distressing vivisection of the behind the scenes of this podcast. <laughs> I agreed to do this with Daryl, but like a great friend and a, a crafty podcasting pro. I was like, yeah, mate, only if it's 90 minutes or less, though. Because <laughs> as someone who's, I do a movie review podcast myself, and as someone who, who has basically spent most of 2020 and a good portion of 2019 just mostly complaining about the lengths of movies over 90 minutes, I thought I'd save us that chat here now on your show by asking for the for the 90 minute job here with Astro Boy. So here we are. It's my own, my own doing, I guess. <laughs> Well, I gave you a choice of three, and I'm glad you addressed it at the top. Otherwise, I was just going to trash you in the intro as being a <laughs> cad. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it was a choice of this next or trespass. Uh, put it to the vote. I think the first time on this podcast that a film has gone to a vote. Um, ah. And with, I think it was about 55%, uh, nearly 200 votes, the people wanted to hear the thoughts on Astro Boy. Um, they were, you know, very clear, very clear. That, um, it's one of those kind of things, though, like like the Brexit vote, where even though there is a clear outcome, I don't know if you could easily turn and say it's clear why these people have opted <laughs> to go ahead with this. And you know, now here we are reviewing Astro Boy. I'm sure there were lots of subsections of people who voted for Astro Boy for various reasons and don't appreciate being pigeonholed in with the other group. So I'm not entirely <laughs> sure. Is there a, a cagehead contingent? Is it a manga contingent? Is it because it has the word boy in it? I'm not really sure, Daryl. <laughs> It's it could it could go either way. I mean, I think I was just so thrilled to see that people were engaging with a poll, and I was like, oh, oh engagement! This is what social media is all about, right? And watching those like those ticks come in. Um, yeah, it's good I, to know in twenty twenty one. You know, social media interaction—it's not all bad. There's some positives there as well. You know, <laughs> I mean, on the podcast Twitter, I'm yet to be trashed on that or DM'd offensively. That probably lets you know how new in the game that I am, that no one is calling for me to be cancelled yet. Um, which you've probably like come on, see me on this call and see like this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed young podcaster, how little... Ah, yeah, but you don't know his hateful views on Astro Boy yet, so, you know, you got to hold <laughs> off. Hold off. Uh, this uh, was fun to watch because I, I don't know about you, Daryl, I watched this... Uh, 9am on a Sunday morning which gave me a general sense of like a distressed parent who woke up early to woke up what they thought was late with which to homeschool their child then realised it was a Sunday and then put on any old shite they saw on Amazon Prime just to keep them (laughs) occupied while they regret their life choices in the kitchen (laughs) I mean for me I watched this far too late I watched this about 10 o'clock last night uh, before the day of recording and I was just like throwing a Ben and Jerry's ice cream into my face saying oh this is going to be just like a nice little light film about the robo boy and Nick Cage is a, a nice nice father um, and then you know there's nothing like not getting any of that uh, familial justice in a film just to really sour you <laughs> on, um, 
and assault and this is caramel. what's happening now you're comparing contrasting the experience you know and this could be the whole you know you could do a spin-off podcast about this where you have someone who's watched the movie after having their breakfast and then someone who's watched the movie after having their dinner and then you can compare and contrast <laughs> the energy from both of those people you know <laughs> Well, it's like how they say you're only supposed to like weigh yourself in the morning, and it's not reflective if you weigh yourself at night time. <laughs> um, if if I if I interview someone pre ice cream and post ice cream to see if they've just got like uh, like a brain freeze, um, or if they've just got into some kind of coma, I don't know. Have you uh, just subtly admitted that you had ice cream for your dinner last night? Because <laughs> that was my follow up question. <laughs> Um, to, to answer the question directly, yes. Okay. Uh, secondly, it's been a challenging lockdown. Um, I mean, I've I've swore to myself, you know, um, as we've sort of discussed in off uh, off record before recording uh, this year. You know, I'm I'm fast approaching thirty this year, and I've sort of made a vow to myself. You know, at the start of my twenties, I was at university feasting on regularly dinners of um. Bowls of pasta and salt. Uh, no other garnish. Wow! Um, I was How a salty pasta boy. Yeah. You look at all these people with their parmesan. They're like, it's the same thing. It's just, it's much cheaper as well. What's the problem, guys? <laughs> and uh, if I had the thought, if I knew then what I knew now, that you can put cheese on top of a pasta. Oh boy, what a happier boy I would have been in my early 20s. Uh, well, blow your mind. You can put a Y at the end of that and make cheesy pasta, which is even better. Like, it's next level. Good God, that bastard's done it again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> my mind's been blown. Um, I mean, I, you know, I won't go into the nitty gritty details. My bowels were not in a good way in my early 20s. And that's. Oh, I see. It's one of. It's, this is it. You listen to most podcasts these days, you will get at some point an admit, a, a kind of a gastrointestinal admission of sorts. You know, <laughs> could, could be good, could be bad, like, you know? I like to cram as much, like, um, puzzle piece backstory to myself in the start of episodes as possible. So by the time, <laughs> <laughs> by the time you get to episode 100, you're like, Right, I get it now. So that's why he he killed that man. Um, I'm a, I'm a real clued over person. I think I think I described myself once to someone at work uh, in weather terms as a uh, a yellow weather warning of a man. A real light rain. It's uh it's not a bother, but mm, you know it's there. Or um, or other way you can look at it is you're kind of like a, a lighter episode of House in the making with the kind of you know <laughs> with all the kind of little pieces in the podcast left together. It wouldn't be the main focus of House. The interns would be doing that, listening to the podcast, go, "What's this all about?" And then kind of offhandedly, House would just solve it in the final act when he's getting on with the main business of the episode. <laughs> uh, I feel like my my partner would be like the other serious doctor who tolerates me and knows what I'm about. But is is there for me just <laughs> just because of proximity and time served at this point? Um, saying that, I miss I miss House. Um, that's just reminded me. I always I used to love House. Um, would it have been better with Nicholas Cajun? <laughs> I think you know the answer to that. That's very two thousand. Yeah, we're we're definitely into Astro Boy two thousand and nine territory. You know that that's that's we're feeling like we're right there now. You know it's it's two thousand and nine. Uh, Uggs are making a comeback. You know, we're we're firmly footed in this early millennium. <laughs> I mean, it's a, a decent year for Nicolas Cage because this is on the cusp of a turning point for him before his filmography just went into 
Um, debt-stricken grief is the only way I can describe it. So this is pre-Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance, then, is what you're telling me. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm telling you. I mean, (laughs) between Astro Boy and Spirit of Vengeance, um, we had Kick-Ass, we had Drive Angry, um, we had some other bits and pieces of guff in there as well. Um, you know, on for the most part, the 2000s for him, they stayed above board. They were still floating on the water. You know, land was still in the distance. And then we start ticking over into the tens and, uh, water is coming on that ship quick. Um, I mean, you know, we get the crudes in there. We get a ghost rider in there. But then we go into, uh, left behind the 1% rotten tomato rated left behind. Wow. Uh, um, which, um, Obviously, by the point this episode comes out, I've not talked about it yet because I definitely don't record these out of order. Behind the scenes, Goss, wink, wink. Um, but it's um, the story of... I don't even know if I've got the the stones to say it's a story. It's um, It turns out there's a lot of Christian films and a popular subgenre of Christian film is uh, all based on the rapture. Ah, um, the rapture! Come on, <laughs> like, I, can, can they have the proper like Catholic education that I got? Where we were sat down very early by a priest, and he he was like, "There's no such thing as the devil or hell or the rapture or purgatory or like." The next thing he's gonna be telling me this old Pontius Pilate. He's getting rid of like all the, <laughs> you know, all the best bits essentially that we were led to believe was gonna happen. Like, oh, don't tell me he's gonna cancel caesar augustus as well just because he wants tax (laughs) i mean little did he know at that point that uh left behind in 2014 with nick cage was coming um (laughs) i i know this movie when i was 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 about to put it on and i imagine most of uh nick's 2010s offerings are also available on amazon prime in the uh (laughs) In the generously titled "Customers Also Watch" section, <laughs> this warned me that it was for seven plus. It said there was foul language uh, to be expected in this movie. Now, I I kept my ears open for this. I didn't catch any uh, any any cussing of any sort in this. No, I think by foul language they just mean a father repeatedly disowning his boy. Um, yeah, dissing <laughs> and disowning. There's a lot of that going on here. And I will say, I only made it, like, I think 10 seconds into this movie before I wrote, They massacred my Astro Boy! Because I was just like, <laughs> I didn't know if he would get, like, fucked up or not in the movie, so I thought I'd get in it early, you know, just in case. I mean, I was sort of toying with the intro, um, something like, My boy, what did they do to my beautiful robot boy? Um, <laughs> but it. it really it's more less what they did to the robot boy and more how they uh very quickly killed off the real boy um well this movie's called astro boy there it's called real boy no one go watch a (laughs) born movie like that i'll tell you what though (laughs) a rocket buster of a cast this was fucking ridiculously loaded oh my god like um you can tell where half the budget went i mean nicholas cage Goes without saying. Got Christian, uh, uh, Christian Bell rather, Bill Nye, who's doubling up. Bill Nye's got two roles in this, Greedy Bill. Uh, Matt Lucas, Eugene Levy, Nathan Lane, Samuel Jackson, whose character, um, Zog the robot has 11 words of dialogue. Easiest wow. paycheck, <laughs> I think, uh, old Samuel. Has ever had. I bet Sam L. Jackson's probably got something in one of his contracts with one of them big studios that are like, we're allowed to use 
any words that you leave me on our answering machines and then they could like edit them together <laughs> and make him into a robot in a movie because you would really assume that was what they did here with Sam. <laughs> I mean, you wouldn't even know it was Sam Jackson um, unless you sort of looked at the credits. Um, according to IMDb, his words were, I'm old school, not just people, the blue stuff, no biggie. Um, so out of context, could mean anything. It could be talking about Viagra. That was it. He was just trying to get a podcast endorsement. That was all that was happening on there on that call. That was all it was. (laughs) He just wanted to get mentioned over 10 years later (laughs) on a Nick Cage podcast. Um, There's a few people that it reunites uh, Cage with. Nick Cage and Sam L. Jackson were both together in Andrew and Amos way back in 1993. Um, And Nick Cage and Bill Nye sort of reunited two films in a row. They both were in G-Force. Now they're in Astro Boy. It's all coming together. Um, this film marks Matt Lucas' first voice role as well. There's something about that that feels like if I ever saw Bill Nye and Nick Cage together, did that be like a real way to embarrass them both? And be like, and you were together on G-Force, weren't you? And then, oh, the gang's back <laughs> together for Astro Boy in 2009? <laughs> what were you doing in 2009, Bill Nye? Did you know that you did two separate roles? Did you just read all the lines off and they kind of pitched it down a little bit for one of the other roles? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I like what, well, Bill, you know, you know, you only have one line. You, you are, you're a, you're a, a scientist with a big nose. But I also want to be the red robot as well. <laughs> uh, I guess <laughs> that's fine. Um, greedy, greedy Bill Nye. I mean, no issues with Bill Nye, but um, I just don't understand why he why he got to double up in this one as part of the um, the the robot core, the robot revolutionary front, who um, wanted to hilariously free all robots from humans, as they do. I think this movie is one of those movies that came out in a period of time where a lot of movies had previously come out inspired by the thing that you're now making a movie about because i mean i've not read astro boy the manga but i know it's been around since the year fucking dot and it's about you know i think the people who made mega man saw this or vice versa because it's your general like good scientist future but bad things are around and bad robots and it's bad because you see the, the start of this in metro city and all the self it really feels like it's wall-e because wall-e would have been out around about this time as well and it kind of feels the movie sets itself up as being like remember that movie wall-e it's like that but worse and i feel bad for it because i think wall-e obviously would have been a bit inspired by that original manga i would have assumed just because it's so you know, it's it's like those, those old mangas and animes that are so like they're built into the fucking floorboards of of Hollywood without even realizing it. So, yeah, you got you got your future, you got your robots, you got your your floating city. It's all very nice. There's uh, obviously pollution analogies there as well, which we sorted out in the before two thousand and nine finished off. I think we we've got it all here. You know, you've got um, I guess a light allegory to societal structures, the floating city looking down on the trash people. Um, I know which one I would be in. Um, but like you say, with, with, with Astro Boy, it's been around for so long. It's been around since the 50s. But I suppose this goes back to what we were saying. It, you know, such an influential uh, manga. I think it might have been one-off, if not the first anime that was put to television in Japan. And I, then because- I swear it's like 50s and 60s, or 60s and 70s, I should say, this 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 manga is originally from. Like, it is, it's long in the tooth as far as it goes. Uh, 52, I think it was first on the scene. hell! That's ridiculous. It has been around for a long time. Um, 
been rebooted a few times. It's always been uh, very successful. A quick search, he says, it was uh, uh, one of the best-selling mangas of all time in uh, Japan as well. But then, like I say, you get to 2009, and as we were saying earlier, look what you did to my Astro Boy! Um, is this the type of thing where it's been around so long that you could do any old shite to Astro Boy no one's even going to give a shit like it's kind of like if you went out and you like made fun of Popeye now no one's going to be like oh no leave Popeye alone you know <laughs> Popeye's done nothing wrong leave him in his freak arms alone um, I'm it, just trying to pop up the ale and spinach industry <laughs> <laughs> they'll take my fishing in- I don't know why Popeye sounds like this now but I'm rolling with it <laughs> 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 they'll take my fishing industry, but they'll never take my spinach. <laughs> um, Popeye, I think he voted for Brexit. I'm going to put it out there. Oh, yeah, um, no, definitely. Absolutely. <laughs> Popeye hanging out at the Workingmen's Club, looking a little bit fierce. <laughs> he's, uh, oh, he was, then, uh, he was on that bus. <laughs> um, he, he didn't know any better. He, he was in a strong position, and his choices were made. Um, but like I say, this film, um, not just a box office bomb, um, had a budget of 65 million, just about made 42 million worldwide. What? Oh my uh, God. Bombed hard. Um, now it's, um, continued a pattern here of a Japanese, um, uh, entity that was taken on by a US company. Uh, and then didn't do well. It's basically followed the trend set by Speed Racer in 2008 and the oh, Dragon yeah. Ball Evolution film in 2009 that also butchered my boy. Um, they're both weirdly, all three weirdly did well in China. Um, although Astro Boy was not considered a success by the end of its run in China, but it actually went so badly. Um, for the production company, uh, which was uh, a Magi Animation Studios, that they <laughs> that they had to close down because wow. this film did so poorly, um, lost the studio twenty three million. Fuck um, me! It's, it's it is interesting. Like you see a movie like this, and then like I was watching Shark Tale the other day for a Cinema Swirl uh, episode, and it is very weird, particularly in animation, that the line between something being a total flop and it being like yeah it made its money or it, it was fine i guess and like i don't remember astro boy it being like touted is going to be like this. it wasn't like it had a huge marketing push that much behind it like it was out in the cinemas it's just what it's always funny when something like this which seems like they're not only pitching up for a medium level of success can still go on to be a cataclysmic failure of sorts yeah I mean, you could. I think with the with the cast they were throwing behind this, they were banking on a a big U.S. contingent, if nothing else. Um, and you've got the the, uh, the one name I didn't mention earlier, Freddie Highmore, um, voicing Astro or Toby, um, whichever. If you want to humanize him or robotize him, um, the the boy who never ages, but I think he's like twenty nine as well. He well, was, uh, the problem they had here is that they hitched their wagon to the wrong horse. If you were a smart Hollywood agent, you would have cast James Corden as Astro Boy. And <laughs> America loves James Corden. He's very good for them, apparently. <laughs> they see something in our in, in our chords that we just don't. Um, if they got Corden on, on, uh, on for this one, then who knows, but... No, maybe, and you know, this is my bias coming out, and I'm, you know, I'm not shy about this. Maybe Nick Cage should have been Astro Boy. 
Um, the I was a little disappointed when he wasn't, you know. And <laughs> when I when then we find out early on that he's the dad instead. Who I don't know if it was that the dad had been designed, and then Nick Cage came in and did the voice, and they were like, "Oh, his voice is a bit creepy. Can you make him look a little bit?" Because he does look a little bit too creepy. Like for 2009, <laughs> the animation is kind of meant to be this simplistic Pixar style, or whatever. But he's got like the bags under the eyes. He's got the fucking thousand yard Kramer stare or whatever. He, he's he got a goatee. So I immediately thought Nick Cage as the dad was like the big secret baddie. Like he would come out to be the baddie. But then I saw your man with the big nose. And I was like, he's the baddie. He's the baddie. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, if we were going by nose sizes alone, we had some absolute contenders there. But the um, I think the real villain of the piece as far as Nick Cage's uh, Dr. Temmer was concerned, was grief and sadness. Um, <laughs> sending him sending him down this uh, down this line, but I suppose if you get a 40-year-old to voice um, a question mark aged boy, I think he's meant to be 10 or 12. He's supposed to be, um, I think he's supposed to be like a genius as well, but ergo because he's the son of the famous head of the Ministry of Science of Metro City, but you know, Toby's swagging around in the first ten minutes of this film. He's completing those that school test in like five minutes. He's got that red cap on, and I thought that was a MAGA hat, and I was like, <laughs> "Get out of here!" I feel like they go out of their way to make you like not care too much about the boy because, like, spoiler alert: this child will die and be reincarnated as a robot, which, at its core, is something so bleak and dark it could only be made in fucking 1952 japan like you know where <laughs> which is like the fucking cradle of all this like oh that's cool i'm gonna think about it for five seconds oh the horrors of nuclear war you know it's like all the stuff that comes from that time wrestling godzilla half the fucking manga that was made it has its roots in somewhere a lot darker and i think as a result you like they're trying to be like very hollywood here you see the kid a little bit he's got a bit of an attitude but you don't want to, you only get to know him as well as you would someone at like summer camp because they don't want you to form too close a bond because you will be upset otherwise as a child <laughs> it's basically the hunger games isn't it um, you know some of these kids are going to have to go that's just the way of the world um i think it was about 11 minutes in 12 minutes in where um real boy gets eviscerated in a blinding flash of light by um the uh, the peacekeeper robot Donald Sutherland's President Stone uh, wants to use an evil droid to secure his re-election campaign. Yeah, and hang on now here because this was some com- complicated stuff here. Now, now you keep track at home. Now, the good doctor, right? The good doctor, he discovered a special nice power that's blue and it's going to do things like make the environment come back and peace on earth get rid of uh institutionalized racism right it's going to do all these things and more besides but then the baddies are like red red power source though that's evil and i mm, why why don't we just go for that instead and you can't argue with the politics it's it was effective like so they go they they like the red stone is what they're saying here (laughs) <laughs> yeah, uh, but they 
I said, oh, well, you found a bit of a star, says uh, Bill Nye's Dr. Elephant. Um, great name, Elephant, because he's got a big nose and he's a good guy. I, fuck, I don't know. I hate this character design. It fucked with me, Daryl. I didn't <laughs> like it at all. I fucking hated it. It was. I was watching Wallace and Gromit over Christmas, and it's like if if Wallace wandered off set and he's like, what's going on, Gromit? I'm not in, in the chain anymore. It's all white. And then he walked into a room. This is the fucker who'd spin around in the chair. This architect-looking guy with his big, weird fucking heads and his weird plasticine <laughs> teeth. Didn't like him. And the fact that he turns out to not be a bad guy meant I said a lot of waste energy in this movie speculating that this guy was going to be some freak evil ultimate bad. <laughs> you were you were high on that red core energy for about three quarters of this film. <laughs> <laughs> but it, like it's such it's such like obviously a simple sort of um, ch- I guess child friendly explanation. Like we found this energy: blue equals good, red equals bad, blue will save world. Red will be taken by bad guys. And that's the, all the explanation you get about it. That's all you need. Um, it's just a, a MacGuffin to get sort of the plot moving. Yeah, the guys, you know, this red star will kill us all. And then President Stone's like, yeah, but I do need to be re-elected. So I will be utilizing the red stone, I believe. Yes, thank you. <laughs> they they are not shy about having some, dare I say, some slight political undertones in this. They make it very clear off the bat, that um, the guy in charge, the president, is evil. There's no... Because that man, Barack Obama, is in the White House, and we got to watch him. That's what I'm saying. we got to watch him, because we don't know what's going to happen. Talk about your guard being down. Good job, Astro Boy, getting the children riled up in 2009. Like, this, 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 this red one is... It may seem evil, but this blue star that represents hope and change... I don't know, kids. Maybe we should be careful. <laughs> I mean, you know, other than you know the the, the obvious color connotations—blue, good, red, bad, blah, blah, blah—I was trying to look at this and think, right, maybe the writer is trying to slip something in here. Um, what's it? Co-written by David Bowers, who also directed. Um, he also directed Flushed Away and th- no less than three Diary of a Wimpy Kid films. Um, he was also an, an animator before this as well. The other co-writer, Timothy Harris, who has written on such classics as Trading Places, Twins, Kindergarten Cop, and Space Jam. Whoa, and Hollywood royalty over here. Some big royalty. And then he um went through a, a very sharp decline when he got to Astro Boy. And according to IMDb, has been in hiding since. What? Seriously? <laughs> Uh, oh my God! From the from the little IMDb, not much since I think he did uh, novelizations sort of before getting into the old uh, the old cinema game here. Um, but I, I, so it's really bad to me. But anytime I hear that writers went from doing movies to doing novelizations, I always just imagine them like in their bathrobe on the phone to their agent, be like, "I don't want to do a novelization. Like you gotta work, Morty. You know that type of a, a thing is going on." <laughs> uh, I assumed. Well, God, this movie's got fucking. There is dark kind of. I was looking for this darkness all throughout the movie. It turns out it was in real life instead of the children's movie I was watching on Sunday morning. <laughs> the darkness was all around us the entire time. Uh, we should have taken the hint because when they bring in the drones, they're they're fighting this big robot that has the the red energy in it now, and all the drones they bring in, they all look like minions. And 
I think that that is copyright of the DreamWorks Corporation, and I feel that it should not just be willy nilly thrown around. And you know, if you've if you've been on Facebook, you know that they protect that IP. They they protect it fierce, tooth and nail. Not just anyone can post Dominion, is what I'm saying. All right. <laughs> I, I saw something on the. Uh... And I guess by the time this goes out, this is going to be old news. But right now, it's hilarious. Um, I saw on the, the Minions Twitter, I think some intern who runs their social media Twitter put like a photoshopped image of like um, uh, some coach or something with a boy, but a photoshopped Minion on his head or on his knee or something. And it was real suspect. It was re- it was real close to the line. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I <laughs> when do we get the FBI involved? I said it at the screening of Despicable Me 2 and 3, I don't trust the minions. I know no one listens to me on that fact, but I will say it again for the record. You can time date this episode. I have said it. I'm on the record. <laughs> and I will back you up on that. Thank Didn't you. trust them when they came out. I don't trust them now. I don't know what they want. I don't know what they need, but I will say this. And, you know, this may be the turning point in the podcast here. I do want to see how they rut each other and get down. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> when when you've been in the Nick in the Nick Cage rabbit hole as long as uh, as long as I have, you start looking a little differently at the world of cinema, for better or worse. Um, I, I want to see I want I want to see a minion get down. Well, do you want to see uh, a boy get killed in this movie? Because that's what happens. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Kill him. <laughs> I think that you know, and I've and I've I've sort of said it earlier. You know, I thought he had that MAGA hat on. Obviously, he's really smart, and he seems a little bit arrogant to me at the start. Does old Toby Tenma pre-robotizing, um, and then he just happens to be on that side of the glass, like and very weakly. Dad, let me out. Dad, dad. It's almost Nick- like he knows he's he really needs, we need to get this movie going now. Do you want to go on? Go on, take care of the boy now. Come on, let's do it. Hurry up. <laughs> I mean, I imagine like the writers, like Harris and uh, Bauer, were like, "Well, we're on we're on page ten, and, and we need to get this plot moving. Kill the boy." And that was like, "Yeah, yeah." Now we've got him. Now we've got him. And I don't know how the cap survived that evisceration as well. That was all that was left: a cap and a single strand of hair. So Nick Cage goes through uh, some grieving here, and. He looks extra like Kramer when they have his character model <laughs> kind of grieving and stuff like that. And, I, and once again, I think they were trying to be sensitive and not like they didn't want him to be like, ah, ah, blah, blah. even though I'm sure Nick gave him probably like four or five hour takes of his reaction to the boy he died. He's like, you can just cut that, you know, or whatever to tell he wants. But um, it, again, it, it makes me go kind of all quiet and weird. And I don't think it was the intent, but it just makes him seem like the world's worst fucking dad who also should definitely be in prison. <laughs> if, uh, if Ralph and the Sopranos isn't, isn't culpable, this guy fucking is. That's all I'm saying. This boy's been killed at his hands. <laughs> I mean, when you're the tippy top of the elite in Metro City, you can kill as many boys as you want. Wanton boy evisceration and nothing's going to happen. Um, because he got a little bit sad, picked up his hat. He was like, oh, my boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what did you do? (laughs) 
What did I do to my boy? He, he's I looking around. I didn't kill you, and you killed her. You all killed her. And you know, it's typical, isn't it? With the, the the elites when they kill their boy. Oh, it's only an hour and five seconds, and then all of a sudden, oh, he's got a new boy, and it's, it looks just like him, except he's got military grade weapons. This sounds like something out of like a QAnon conspiracy theory. Like there's these elites who are taking <laughs> children and killing them, and then putting high grades weaponry inside of them, and like it looks just like him. <laughs> this is a goosebumps novel that's got out of hand. <laughs> this has got R.L. Stein written all over it. Um, Attack of the Robo Boys. But with the, with the two doctors though, with um, Elephant and Tenma, there's just these two contrasting and still weird takes. Because he's like, oh, I'm, I'm. Tenma's like, I killed my boy. I'm sad. I'm going to rebuild my boy. Oh, it's not actually my boy. I hate my boy. And then actually, no, I, I'm, I'm going to accept you back as my boy. And then Elephant. Every other line of dialogue, it's just him being overly nice to Astro Boy. Mm. There was one bit at the end where they sign, they kind of force the message of this film, saying, um, you know, you got to find your place in the world, and everyone's got a purpose. But then it's just Bill Nye just going like, uh, oh, you're wonderful, you're brilliant, you're amazing, I love you, Asteroid Boy, let me kiss you on your robo hair. Mm. Um, and it's just, I don't it's like very, it. It's a lot. It's a lot. It is, and also, I mean, I think there's a, there's an awkwardness here with, with Nick, Nick Cage's character, the Doctor, because obviously he's going through a grieving process, and obviously a grieving father... You don't want to tell them how to handle their business and all that, but he's designing this boy, and I'm not sure when he's like designing him so that he physically always has very tiny pants on, and that is the design that he's going for, or that he's going to give him rocket shoes. Both are distressing in their own way, and no one's going to like put the hand on the shoulder and go, "Just stop, just put stop Come here now. We'll sit you down, put a blanket on him, some cocoa, put some clothes on that fucking child." Jesus, you know, it's just it was it was it was really fucking awkward. Oh, and also at this point, Nick Cage straight up calls Dr. Elephant. He says, Dr. Elephant. He just calls him it. <laughs> I think at that point, the direct David Bauer's just like, 20 takes and that was the best one. <laughs> um, but this is what I'm saying. Obviously, like you said, you know, grieving father, you, you can't really tell someone how to grieve to a, to a, a big extent. But Elephant just kind of sat, sat back and was like, why have you put machine guns in your boy's backside? Why is the machine guns in your robot boy's ass? And then I just imagine Cage is like, I'm grieving! <laughs> I, I was really expecting the scene like right after her. Like, you have this real intense closeness here. I was expecting him to be running around the house chasing with a knife going, you're not my son! You know, that type of a, <laughs> a, a twist here. Because it is getting a little bit of Black Mirror at this point. I mean, if if the twist at the end was that um, this this had all been in his head and it was just Tenma viciously grieving over the loss of his son and he was just shouting at like some crash test dummy in the corner of his like empty science office, um, Elephant was just he'd killed Elephant and he was speaking to his ghost. I think, oh, oh, that would have been you know bumped this up to a PG it would have been all over that. <laughs> You wouldn't have even needed that. Uh, what was it that I was warned about? Foul language. Yeah, that's 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 what we would have expected. So he's he's got to homeschool the boy. They don't really kind of decide whether or not to tell him if he's a real boy or not. Is that is that discussed beforehand? Um, 
I think he because he create he has that um that android skeleton that he's created um and then they use a strand of his hair that was in the hat to uh put all of his son's memories in this robo body along with as we said you know the metal black pants and those red knee highs um for shoes on there so they're not going to tell him but then ten was like oh no my purpose now is like a, i'm going to be a father i'm going to be your dad and then he says, just some light reading. Here's a, a giant hardback book of Emmanuel Kant. And oh, this is my favorite Nick Cage line in the whole movie, which was, want to get the, uh, the old brain humming again? <laughs> Grieving dad saying whirr too intensely to you is like not a, not a, not a nice thing. <laughs> He's, it's like, you know, I want to get... And he, and he knows, like he knows this is... An android robo boy who can process this information faster than his human son ever could. So he could just flick through uh, Kant's critique of pure reason and just take it all in. And, but then Toby has um, uh, Da Vinci's war machines. He's, he's like, if if I was Tenma and I was like, okay, so my son is still a bit uncertain. Maybe it's a programming thing. But he's suddenly taken an interest in... Um, war and weaponry maybe i need to take him switch him off a second and take him back into the office to reprogram some of that kinks out oh yeah i mean like back when i was a teacher if there was any kid that was too into da vinci i'd like you know i'd, I'd be very very suspect you got to pass that information on to the police or something like that you know because it's uh it's he's, it's a gateway scientist is what i'm saying <laughs> you got to keep an eye on stuff like that when they creating all these uh uh, paper airplanes and sort of spinning machines, and I don't like. Okay, from from I'm gonna guess that book was maybe a first edition. It looks quite old, quite valuable. On that basis alone, when Tenma walks in and sees all the pages torn out, um, okay, I think maybe I'd be a little bit peeved as well. But for your son to be sort of creating like you wanted, uh, Tenma, and then you flip out, and then I think you know you got to pick your battles here, man. I think the reason why he was pissed off is because the, the 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 server robot played by Eugene Levy, he was having fun as well. And I think it's undercurrent about how badly they treat robots. The, the sight of this hunched over robot having fun was like, he couldn't couldn't bear that. He was fucking furious with it. He was livid. This kind of... And I, I was always sitting there wondering, like, why would you have, like, a bumbling robot that gets everything wrong that's actually designed to be hunched over and be like, Ooh, I'm sorry, master. <laughs> I was like, oh, can you imagine owning a stupid robot assistant that crashes every two seconds? But also me, who owns several home assistants in my home which crash every two seconds, you know? At least <laughs> Eugene Levy could probably give you a decent timer. <laughs> Uh, oh, and he wears he wears his son's maga hat, and he's all he gets really <laughs> weird. Take it off! You're disrespecting yeah. the movement. <laughs> you know, he's just trying to have a nice time. He doesn't know where he stands. I mean, I'll be honest, because he's so like nervous and just used to being shouted at and doing these menial chores, and he's just a sad robot, uh, like a real sort of um, uh, what is it from Hitchhiker's Guide? Marvin the Paranoid oh, Android. The Paranoid Android. I mean, in my notes, I just put uh, Eugene Levy equals Cuck Robot, which was <laughs> that's <laughs> a Cuckbot nine thousand. I'll have you know, top of the line. <laughs> they don't. They never really go with this. Actually, they kind of go out of their way to tell you that the robots, the kind of the class struggle analogies and all that. It's like it's a hundred percent for yucks and laughs because the ro- the robots are like routinely like I. 
you know, they were redesigned and they showed like, oh, we just tip them over the side and get rid of them because they're shit. And then later on, it's like, oh, the robots, they think like they, they deserve to be like, you know, respected. It's like, oh, isn't that sweet? That's very sweet of them to do that. But there is no kind of big heartwarming, we should treat robots better at the end of this. It's absolutely not. It's like, oh, this robot here reminds us of a child. That's good. The rest of them, though, they are less less than absolutely less than and I, I i felt bad for them they never they never got any sort oh eugene levy is allowed to not refer to the doctor as doctor you can call him bill at the end but that's the only kind of <laughs> or any kind of joy that he gets out of it yeah i mean by the end i mean robots lives haven't been improved i mean they've just repurposed a fighting droid in the uh in the guise of zog for samuel L. jackson now they've kind of accepted like well you know he ain't my son but he's my boy and astro boy's flying around he's suddenly a superhero but for but for orion cookbot 9000 uh, the only actually i will say the only sort of air quote nice ending that he gets is because Temmer at the end is like go find yourself some girl robots um, so he's just giving Cuckbot just absolute carte blanche to go and robo hump all around <laughs> Metro City uh, the makers of this movie or any of the participants in it have never seen the movie AI which uh, film critic Marco Mode says is his best movie he's ever seen I always think it's important to, to remind people of, of that and, you know, I could have seen all this going in Robot Boys and Grieving Dads never mix. So yeah, this is all coming from, from a long way off. We also find out that President Stone wants to start a war with the surface. I was re- I'm always really intrigued when there's any sort of like political machinations in a child's movie. And I was like, wow, <laughs> like what's going on here with the surface world? Do they have organized government? Is there like an us and them thing? Like how we don't get it. I re- don't make me read Astro Boy manga from a hundred years ago now, because that's what's gonna happen. Yeah, it's um you get that sort of uh, quick explanation at the start when I think it's uh, Charlie's Theron gives a voiceover and she says, um, oh, Metro City got uh, literally rocket propelled up into the sky to keep it safe. And then all the stinky humans and all their robo trash that are down there because forced analogy and reasons. Um, I mean, when, he, when, when Astro Boy, he has that sort of first battle with... Um, uh, President Stone. This is after him and Tenma have fallen out, and he's discovered that he can fly, and also um, on that point that he can hear other robots. He has um, that ha- hilarious conversations with Mister Squeegee and Mister Spray because they've got robot spraying cleaning units um, who oil shit on people for fun. Um, and I like I end- like that they went out of their way to give them a personality that they could then like talk, but then also to disguise it as well. So there's. There is obviously some robot designer with a wicked sense of humor uh, in 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 Metro City for sure. <laughs> it's like you know if if it's a thing that a human needs, I'll put a fucking microchip and a, a flying machine <laughs> in it. Um, I was like Mr. Squirt, not Mr. Spray. I would try that Mr. Squirt and Mr. Squeegee. It's like they um, got that fucking pervert from Blade Runner to make all like the the less important robots. It's like we <laughs> we need. We need a robot that will like pick the fucking hair out of drains and showers and public bathrooms. <laughs> I, I'll make it. I'll make a friend. He'll he'll come <laughs> and he can clean out your drains. I'll make my friends. <laughs> what the fuck is this? It's just a, a squidge bottle. Like I I threw one out this morning. I was a bit weird about it now after this. Thinking 
you know, it's like after you see Toy Story when you're a child for the first time. You always open the door a second or third time. And now I'm throwing a trash thinking that maybe I'm getting rid of some sentient life form. I don't need that. <laughs> you think maybe the uh, the character designers had big hopes that Astro Boy would take off and be a merch line and people would be queuing up outside of the Woolworths at the time to get a Mr. Squirt, a Mr. Squeegee action figure. Um, oh, I'd with- be getting Grieving Father action. Oh, you know, the really sad <laughs> bags under the eyes in the cage action figure. Oh, you can press a button and it's back and its arms just shoot up to its head like, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's although that impression that you did there of like a uh, the perv maker um, reminded me when Astro falls into the scrap and all those other like zombie robots yeah, come they out. They were genuinely distressing. They were they were terrifying. The one um, the cowboy robot was like, "Help me, son, I'm fading." I was like, "Fuck!" <laughs> the lad is gold in my and, and, and it, it was meant to be for yucks as well. It's like ah, <laughs> the waiter. His eyes have fallen out. <laughs> I, I, bet, I bet it's dark now, is it? <laughs> oh, I wonder when they'll stop. I wonder when they'll decide to stop thinking. Oh, God. <laughs> He's just sat there with our legs crossed, just like <laughs> French matrices do be like that. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what it's serving. like to slowly become a mineral. Oh, that's funny. But <laughs> <man. laughs> well, then he... Uh, uh, that was, I think, that what ten twenty seconds in all that happened with all those droids fading and like the lights just dying behind their eyes. That's the bit that stuck with me the most. That was harrowing. Yeah, and you can't uh, do that bit and then give us Bin Dog like right back to back because it was like I was in the pits of despair, <laughs> and then like this fucking bin that is a dog shows up and he's already cute and I was like are you gonna be my friend now because I'm really sad after what I've seen and I was he was my emotional support bin for the rest of this movie <laughs> I mean that makes me think though as well you know obviously later on in the film when um Astra and the scrap children are sort of walking around but uh, finding bits and pieces for Hameg who makes robots and fights them. Um, why? Because we need a villain, I guess. As he, he finds Zog and he can repower him with his blue, but he doesn't do it to Cowboy Robot. Robot ca- That Cowboy Robot reached out in his dying moments. He's oh, already oh. mid-fade, like, come on. It's like, you know, you don't want to save Arthur Morgan when he's starting to die, do you? It's like, you let him, he's on his path, let him go. He's just, he's got a cough, he'll be fine, it's all right. <laughs> I tell you what, the main, the main point of these youths showing up, it felt like, was just to remind you. For, I would say, the first time in this movie, because the animation was grand, you know, nice glitzy up in the sky. When we're down mm-hmm. here and we see the kind of the, the greasy youths, they were really here just to say it is 2009 and for some reason when we do like purple highlights and cargo pants on youths <laughs> all of a sudden the animation goes to shit because it really looked like we were in an Xbox 360 cutscene now or something like that. Yeah, uh, the um, the animation of the children was probably not a high point. Um, they had all those weird like, I don't know, was Sludge called one of them? I think there was different... <laughs> I think Sludge was a name. And, uh, um, Kirsten Bell's in there. She voices Cora, who's kind of like yes, the leader of yeah. the, the Misfit group. And we find out from her at one point that she's also an exile from Metro City. And the whole movie, it's like you get her saying, I'm an exile from Metro City. And I've been kind of like, oh, what's that all about? And literally at the end of the movie, her parents like, there she fucking are. I told you. And they're all like, 
lovey-dovey and happy like that. <laughs> now, obviously, 2009 is a more innocent time, but sweet Mary, mother of Jesus, you shouldn't be allowed to just lose a child like that and then be reunited <laughs> with them. Metro City, you've got some serious fucking short-sightedness when it comes to your child protection laws. <laughs> President Stone, you got some splaining to do. It's like, yeah, well, and all, all the excuses you use with Astro Boy, like, oh, he's a robot. Core is an actual meat child made of actual meat, so you can't <laughs> use those same excuses here. No, I mean, this is what I mean. It's such a missed point because you think, oh, maybe we're going to get the perspective of, like, you know, at the trash people of, like, looking up at this floating city in the sky. And then she just drops in in that little nice heart to heart they have in the car. She's like, oh, can I tell you something? I'm actually from Metro City. Like, well, why are you here? How did you get there? Flash forward 40 minutes to the end of the film. My daughter, here she is. My daughter. Like, where have you been? Oh, it's, not bad. I'm good. It's like not even aspirational because it's be aspirational. You have to think about it. Like, she's got a phone that doesn't work and she's like, you know, sure, we've all been there. Like, you've been raised by a crook for years <laughs> like because you just i don't know you got lost a little bit it makes me fucking really glad that that time i got left behind it like i got left behind with those soft play areas when i was like three or four and i oh, guess if like my, my parents didn't come back and get me this would have been my fate i would have been you know raised by some ne'er-do-well hey i don't know about you but it's 2009 and i love a good fun pastiche of terrorism and the robot revolutionary front were absolutely that. They they do the little dance and that was very cute. And then they're like, Oh, we we want our rights and we're gonna like all oh, by any means necessary. Like, you know, they made it really cute and silly. When oh nine is probably the height of uh of, of like terrorism fears it felt like, you know <laughs> Yeah, we got to, the delightful robot revolutionary front who as uh sort of said earlier, they wanna uh free robots from human rule um we've got uh matt lucas as sparks um we've got bill nye doubling up as robotsky and then we've got uh mike the fridge um his credit didn't make it to wikipedia so he's obviously the least important one um but they're all funny you know they try to they always turn up after something's happened and then matt lucas is like Oh, evil a robot revolution, um, which is basically his thing. It really, really reminded me of Four Lions and the kind of the inspiration behind it. You know, it it really kind of because I know the inspiration. Like Chris Morris, when he was making that, he said like his inspiration was he read all these stories about all these like terrorism cells where you know they had done stuff like try to bring across weapons on a dinghy and then the dinghy sank because it was you know the weapons were too heavy like lots of like really just silly like comedy setups happening with these very dangerous sorts and it just it read that it's like it's not the time or the place for kids like to be thinking <laughs> oh these little group of people are wanting to destroy society eh well they should be laughed at no they should be you should get around the table and chat with these robots you know come on <laughs> It's like they have murderous intent. Uh, they but don't they do know how a to fun use dance. it. They have a fun dance. <laughs> Come on. They, they do fun little jigs. And uh, I should say, after a quick search, Mike the Fridge was David Bowers, the director. Um, Every time you said David Bowers so far, I've expected you to, like, because you said it with a bit of grandeur, like it's going to be David Bowers, but it's not. It's David Bowers. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like David Bowers. Um he he gets Mike the fridge in there, and I they're just kind of there. Um, 
to provide some comic relief, like they turn up after a scrap and they're like, oh, we should recreate the big guy. Um, but they don't do a lot else. They just seem like, um, as it seemed to do a few times in this film, uh, just really reinforce the laws of robotics, which they keep mentioning in this film. So remember, the laws of robotics, the laws of robotics. Now, we can't harm humans, but we have to serve humans. But the laws of robotics. Um, so and I was really thinking, funny jig. them going on about the laws of robotics so much, I thought what that was going to be was just like a big setup for when someone breaks the laws of robotics. And I can't tell you why, when they have the big robot arena bit and you got your your nasty Mr. Ham Eggman who's like ro- making all these robots fight each other and he's like, hello everyone, the laws of robotics. And then Sam Jackson, the big Zog shows up and he's about to kill him and they do a big like, Woo, and he's like, no, the laws of robotics. And then it comes like, boom. Like they make you think for a good six seconds that he's been like, not just killed, like, yeah, the laws of robotics didn't say anything about us liquefying humans, as a matter of fact. I thought that was going to be the twist or whatever, and he'd, like, scrape them off. But, no, nah, no, nah, he's saved as well. Fine. Yeah, well, you know, Hamig is basically the uh, the Fagan of the future, taking these <laughs> underlings under his wing. And he then looks like a wrongan, doesn't he? He does look like a wrongan, and I think any time when you get an adult character in a CGI film and there's gaps between all of their teeth, then you know something. Or they something have that kind of lovely. hair they have to push back all the time. It always is, oh, I don't trust them, don't trust them. <laughs> Slick back, uh, gap between every single one of the teeth, and, um, you know, voiced by Nathan Lane, meaning could have gone either way uh the voice of timon from the lion king as you uh may well be aware but you think he's all nice but then he's actually you know he's always building he's, like you don't uh, expect him to slit pumba's throat in the final act but he did you know because <laughs> i told you meerkats are territorial and you didn't want to believe me but he did it anyway <laughs> well meerkat is latin for night blade um <laughs> as he pulled that poor hog's snout backwards to reveal you know reveal his throat to the pride and just slit across it oh uh, we did have to do it in front of the pride like that god <laughs> timon did not have to go in that hard but that's what he was all about old nightblade <laughs> uh uh, but then it turns out, you know, the twist of Hameg, uh, great name by the way, um, that he hates robots because he used to be the top dog at the Ministry of, um, I keep wanting to say Ministry of Magic, uh, Ministry of Science, uh, but he was too radical, they didn't like his ideas, he was Tenma kicked him out um it, it seems odd like what i really want to know more about that because it felt like between the lad who was bringing back his dead boy and then this other guy who's like hi i'm the head scientist and everything i do is in complete defiance of the administration and their policies like if you get if you can't fit into that hole like what the fuck like i mean it seems like <laughs> quite a broad church the ministry of science <laughs> I mean, yeah, you've got grief-stricken scientists on one side of the equation who want to put machine guns in uh, Robo Boy's arses. Uh, you've got Hamag on the other side, who, even though the robots are here to be subservient and uh, wipe uh, all of our messes, he wants them to do battle in arenas, real gladiatorial style. In the middle, you've got Elephant, and he wants to kiss all the robots because they're all wonderful. And I um, trust him still, least of all, out of all of them. You know. <laughs> It's it's because it's because he was so nice. It's because he was so pleasant the whole way through. 
I thought, you know, elephant, there's a, there's a layer to you, and I don't, I don't think I'm with you. It, it, it translates you. to Mega Man as well because I just spent Mega Man looking for that Doctor Light motherfucker with his big smiley face on it. I'm like, I know you're the real <laughs> villain, you piece of trash. Get out here, face me. <laughs> I think the best possible ending would have been, you know, if they'd thrown elephant and Hameg in the arena, give them like a weapon each in a real sort of, um, uh, you know, um, Spartacus kind of way, just sort of like the ragged loincloths around them. One's got us. <laughs> you've got that one who's got the spear and the fucking net in the arena, the net that never works. The other one's got the shield and the sword. Um, as just Astro Boy just looks down at them with his like little wreath, his little plant wreath on his head. Um, and casts the final judgment. I mean, I suppose it comes down to that. Um, I didn't like I- the. Uh, I didn't like. I should say when they're in the robot arena that they're trying to draw some sort of analogy with the people who are living in this big trash heap and they're like, oh, they're going to watch something. Oh, I guess it's like wrestling then, is it? Because all of us who like wrestling, we're all living in a big pile of trash. Well, some of us take out the trash from time to time and we hoover up a little bit as well with your mostly incorrect analogy. Thank you very much, movie. We don't need it uh, in 2009. <laughs> you know, we, you know, the wrestling community, we've done some work since and we, you know, we won't stand for these robot arenas anymore just as Astro Boy takes us out one by one like we're local enhancement talent pretending to be security um, <laughs> well in fairness they did say beforehand like they tried to rile up the crowd and Astro Boy isn't much of a talker so Hambone is like yeah he says you're all trailer park trash and they're like that that reads in the future you son of a bitch <laughs> Hameg is basically the Heyman of his time oh yeah uh, if he had a skullet, then I would have been like, all right, okay, now we've got something here. Yeah, his black heart is in the shape of a dollar. <laughs> Ka-ching, Hamig, and then he's making, like, Zog Lesnar. Um, <laughs> now, Zog, Zog's got the fundamentals, like, you know. He, he's, got, he's got the footwork. He's got, he's got a hell of a body on him, Zog, you know. I, I think he, he, the- could, he could put a... Put a wooden strap singlet on him, give him a strongman gimmick. You know, I think he could save the territory. <laughs> if you've got, uh, you know, Vince Tenma McMahon uh, looking down from his ivory tower, just sweating at the size of a uh, Zog Lesnar uh, when he's just crushing, you know, the the talent they've put five, ten years in and just saying, <laughs> I'm old school, and just crushing them because the laws of robotics don't apply, um, then I think there's a... There's a real future for this young greenhorn. The uh, the president shows up and he takes away Astro Boy and he's very nice. He's like, just so you know, Astro Boy, I am here to get the blue stone out of you. Remember from earlier? Yeah, and the red stone <laughs> as well. We want to put that in the peacekeeper, which is the, the kind of the robot from, from earlier. Yeah, from, from Act 1. Yeah, just a nice little reiteration. that It's a good good on the, the villain. You know, everyone's always going on about the Bond villains who give away their plot. It's a, it's a pretty standard pedestrian villain thing to give away the plot. To reiterate the plot in the third act, that's that's nice. That's good. You didn't have to do that. Good on you, Stone. I mean, yeah. you're 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 not a good guy, but at least you want us to know why you're not a good guy, and you'll remind us as well. Um, and I'm gonna vote for you as a result of that, you know, because I I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think if if more you know MPs in this day and age said vote for me or or face absorption. Um, then I'm like, that's a pretty good pitch. <laughs> I don't uh, want to be absorbed. I couldn't help but notice uh, the relish at which when you get to see Nicolas Cage 
at the thought that he gets to kill his son for a second time. He was fucking hopping, <laughs> hopping on the leg here, like, oh, gotta get that yeehaw taste. <laughs> Just like, I'm gonna put the blue in you and take the blue out of you and then put the. I mean, such a, a face heel turn. You know, he's like, oh, I guess he's kind of my boy. Blues him right back up. And gets him right back in the action after deactivating him. Oh, yeah, I was, where he stands. I was confused because when he went to reactivate him, I'm like, what, is he killed him for a third time? Like, what's fucking going on here at this point? <laughs> <laughs> Just put your, put your hands around his metallic neck and squeeze at this point. Look into his eyes as the light fades, you coward. <laughs> tell, tell your boy you hate him. I, I really like that they opted to change the villain into a video game that I'm playing a lot of at the moment in, in lockdown, which is uh, Katamari. The baddie is just a big Katamari robot. Rolls everything into him, becomes nice and big. Nice nice beat to dance to as well. It was a very fun final fight. <laughs> I think the only the closest boss fight I've got at the moment, I've been playing a lot of... Uh, uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon on the <gasps> Xbox. No spoilers! Um, no spoilers. Because I love Yakuza games and no spoilers. Because I've had to play all of Yakuza 4 to get sequentially to the point where you are. And have you played Yakuza 4? Uh, well, actually, this is the first Yakuza game I've ever played oh, Like well. a Dragon. Oh, no, you know what? I think I'll just show up for the 10th course of the tasting menu, thanks. No, no, I'll just eat it all. Mix <laughs> in a big bucket for me, thanks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I won't have the wine pairing. I'll just have a drink of yours. Yeah, there we fucking go. Right, <laughs> where I'm over here grafting, playing fucking Yakuza 4 out of 10 over here, waiting till I can actually earn Yakuza Like a Dragon. <laughs> like an actual dragon would, Terrell. <laughs> well, if I'm going to go to a restaurant, I'm going to start with the breadsticks and then have a fucking dessert. <laughs> <laughs> All right. well, the man who was uh, having a, a bed and Jerry's for dinner earlier, as, as admitted, I would expect no less. <laughs> breadsticks, bed and Jerry's, um, long toilet session the following morning. And I apologize to no one. I've invited you here and I won't apologize to you, Mayhan. Um, I love no. I love so much when the the big evil robot like he absorbs like all the other robots. He also absorbs the president, uh, who's like, you know, an idiot and, and doesn't understand technology. And he crashes his own campaign stop and i just this is my fave there's one or two visual gags in this that were really really good and it was kind of bad because it wasn't like pixar where you're like pausing every two seconds to try and find all the great visual gags that were jammed in there but there were a few the campaign slogan it's not the time for change written in big hopeful letters (laughs) made me laugh so much and there was also when they were down in the trash city eating pizza they had uh, Dr. Hardly's Hardly Pizza, which I thought was uh, was another uh, chef kiss of a, of a visual gag. Oh, it, it snuck one or two in there. Yeah. It snuck one or two in there. Um, like I, said, I, I think there's a lot of stuff, you know, it's, we're not going to get that Pixar attention to detail. We are going to get a little girl who's gifted a chainsaw because that's the kind of life that they have down in the slums. <laughs> um, and maybe a stale pizza with a cockroach on it. But... Um, you know, it, it's it, it's the life that they live. It is what it is. It's, um, it's like, 
it probably comes across better this movie watching it now than if you went and you watched it then. Because if you went and you watched it then, it's like this explosion of fucking all these great CG movies. You know, Shrek Forever After. You know, the, the Cars 2. You know, I'm talking like <laughs> the creme de la fucking creme. And it kind of feels like watching this, I felt sorry for the movie because it was competent at this point. You know, like the action was fine. The jokes were grand. Like, it wasn't as if it was toe-curling or really cringy. It was, like, really inappropriate at points with the heavy subject matter. But, like, at this point, we're getting into the final stretch here, the battle and all that. I thought it was fine, you know? And I wasn't necessarily in the mood for watching a long comedy about someone's son dying. But here we were. <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, peaks and troughs with when you're dealing with a mood board <laughs> like that. I think that, that that's kind of the, the thing about the film as a whole, though. It's like... It was fine. It was all right. It's forgettable. Um, cause I came away from it and I was like, uh, I just remember, I just remember grief was my main takeaway from the film grief. Um, and then, um, a, a, a big absorbing lad. Um, well, I'm always, I'm always up for seeing a big absorbing monster. With a and he's got a big red dot in the center as well, which there's actually a nice vor part of the movie as well for those of you who are interested, where he absor- he tries to absorb the boy, but the boy's like, "You can't absorb me," and then he explodes, which I'm sure will go down very well or very badly in the vor community. I don't know. I'm an innocent <laughs> bystander, but like he had a lot of that big crashy smashy. And we have an ending which was so glossed over and like, hey, we've turned the city off and now the elites live in the trash with the rest of us. And everyone's fucking delighted at this. <laughs> Yay! Way! Look at all... Wow, we really have a lot of rubbish here. Way! Hey, look, what's that amongst the trash? Oh, it's our lost child. Way! <laughs> and Nicholas Cage bit. is like looking around going, and it's my boy... Oh. Oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> it's like, a, like Doctor Temma, you're right. I've, uh, I've unleashed my cockbot into the earth. <laughs> 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 that Orin's just fucking left, right, and center. He changed but his th- tune as well about him. He's like, oh, son, 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 son. He, he fucking can't get enough of his Astro Boy now. <laughs> his Astro Boy really became an Astro son by the end of it. It was only after the ass machine guns came out, all of a sudden Nicolas Cage was like, oh, my boy. Like, he was fucking, you know, changed his tune there. Maybe that was all it was. He wasn't disappointed in him not being his son. He just thought that it wasn't the model that he ordered. <laughs> well, that's not where I remember putting the machine gun. Um <laughs> I, I, I like that Astro Boy just made like what I've got machine guns in my butt, uh, and that was and that was the end of it. And he's got fucking lasers in his hands, and he's got rockets in his feet, and it's all fine. And then Metro City's fine with half of their city being destroyed, and now they're part of the trash people. But wait a minute, is Astro Boy for the fifth time in this movie? Is he dead? No, no, he's alive. <laughs> and the important thing, children, to take away from this movie is that death is temporary and everything lasts forever. <laughs> if your father is sad enough, he will replace you. Um, 
And uh, you know, if that's if that's not the message of the film, because I was trying to find one, I think that's it. Um, you are replaceable. You're a cog in the machine, and unless you've got rocket knee high boots, you are fuck all in this industry, son. And uh, try I'm, again. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that I was the only person in the known universe who watched this movie and went, "Oh, aliens at the end." Because, obviously, the production company kind of go into pot and losing all their money and the people involved, like the director, not doing anything afterwards. Obviously, they didn't feel, ooh, aliens, quite like I did. But they put it at the end of the movie anyway. I mean, right at the end, you just get a giant, wriggly, cycloptic, monstrous being in the sky. And they're all excited, like, way! (laughs) This puts a spin on living in a new trash atmosphere, huh? I mean, the citizens, um, not just of Metro City, but of, like, Trash World, they have had such an aggressively transformative hour. (laughs) And they're like, this is fine. Uh, This is living now. And then suddenly, you know, um, know, I don't know if it was programmed into his being, but there's no reason to believe that Astro Boy knows how to fight and knows how to use his machines. He's just, he just makes it work. Then Tenma's like, uh, are you sure you're okay about this? It's a little soon. Uh, and he's like, yeah, punches screen, ends. And like, he doesn't um, even go for the alien, he just punches the screen. And like, what I think it was is that he was aware, like, he sees second wave gentrification coming. First wave, city falls <laughs> to the ground. Oh, now the big fucking alien is coming, is he? Out, I'm out of here. I'm going. I'm moving to New Zealand. Fuck it. <laughs> And little do they know that the robot revolutionary front is still out there with murderous but hilarious jiving intent. And, <laughs> and it's a matter of time before they all die. Or um, before Orin the Cockbot has fucked all of their machinery and there's none left and they have to do things <laughs> themselves again. Um, so there, are, there is only negatives after the credits Sometimes I think, you know, what happens after the credits roll? And it's not good for those, for those people. It's not good. Yeah, I, I, I was really thinking they would have given us a post-credits sequence, but it's 2009, so it's before movies like this are like, we want to show you what actually happens at the end of Monsters vs. Aliens. You know, it, it's, it's before <laughs> that era, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to know what was happening with um, uh, the squeegee and the spray bottle because Astro Boy flies past them on the way to the fight and then they outright say, very on the nose, like, according to the laws of robotics, we've got to go help. And then they fly in as well. You don't see them help at all. They do nothing. (laughs) Dead. Both of them. (laughs) I like to think that the revolutionary front got to them. And uh, called them tra- <laughs> traitors to the cause. I mean, it did definitely have the the air of a movie that was probably two hours, and then someone came in and said, "It's a fucking movie for kids, you dum dums," and then cut like loads <laughs> of it, a lot of the robotics <laughs> chat probably, and then we were left with this. I mean, it was zippy. I didn't particularly want to watch the movie, nor I was in the mood for it. Yet I was fine at the end, which for me, if it's like kind of a, an animated kidsy type movie. That, that for me, is the bare requisite, because if uh, I think I give a roughly a similar amount of energy going into it as a parent who really doesn't give a shit having to go to the cinema. And like as someone yeah. who went to see Pokemon, the first movie, with his mother and her friends sat behind me and my friends laughing at it the whole time, uh, I can tell you I don't want any child to have that experience. So I think you would have been fine as a kid and as an adult <laughs> going in here. So I can't neg the movie that much. And I think Nick Cage gave it 
a peculiar edge that the movie would have otherwise not had, and that is very much his secret sauce. <laughs> well, he did say in an interview that he felt Astro Boy was a sci-fi version of Pinocchio, um, and then he felt that Tenman was a tragic character. So he's he's brought that that pathos. It's all one of those uh, weird things with him where he's like got all of it fucking tattooed on him or something like that. All the all the original Astro Boy manga, or he's like fucking obsessed with her or something weird. Is he? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he he. Uh, I think I recall him saying that he'd said to the director that he'd that uh, or in an interview as well. Astro Boy was something that he grew up with. He remembers it being on TV in the in like the sixties, seventies, right, or whatever. Okay. And he was a big fan of it. And he was saying to like the director, um, "All the the specific sound of Astro Boy shoes. We've got to get that in there because they sound a certain way." Uh, and Priorities. They, <laughs> attention to detail. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the director was like, uh, "All right, I guess." I guess we'll put it in there. Um, so as far as Cage was concerned, you know, this was this was a homage, paying respect. If he hadn't put that a- boot noise in, though, it would have lost forty million. So you know, small <laughs> miracles. The difference between losses because of that, uh, because of those sound effects. <laughs> well done, Nicholas Cage. You've saved the day yet again. Um, but like. I think you know the Rotten Tomatoes kind of reflects the viewpoint on this one, saying it's fine. Rotten Tomatoes gives it fifty percent, meaning that critically, the film is neither here nor there. Yeah, I'd say that I'd agree with that estimation. Yeah, it's it's like I, I was trying to think, you know, if I got something, you know, a bit more of a of like an ending sort of final thought on this film, but I was like, I don't really. It's meh. It's fine. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's a film that I've seen. Um, I wanted to see more of the cook droid, but you know that's that's just me as a human being. That's the kind of things I look for in these films. So don't worry. I know. I know a website. I can hook you up. Don't worry. After it. (laughs) Do you want to see these droid wives? (laughs) And I do. Um, But yeah, like I say, it's it's fine. And then I finished my Ben and Jerry's. and I got on with the rest of my night. That was... Uh, uh, it's a big shrug. It's a big shrug. If if you are forced to watch a movie with a child, but you secretly want to laugh about Nicolas Cage killing and grieving his, about his child over and over again, I couldn't give you a bigger recommendation than this, to be honest. <laughs> you know, because sometimes they you know, pick up, oh, we'll put in a few jokes for the adults, where they're like, oh, these tax returns are due soon, or whatever it is. But like this, instead, it's kind of like, oh, my son has died, like, I've made him again, and I've killed him. Oh, you know, it's kind of the parent stuff, you know. <laughs> if only Tenma's character just looked into the camera and winked and said, I can't be trusted. Wink. And then I think, ah, oh, finally, right, something something for the adults in the room. Like, children don't know loss. That's fine. Um, but, yeah, like I say, um, it was it was fine. I, I, I suppose sort of um, rounding up thoughts on the film, really. What, what would you be your, your closing argument on a <laughs> on Astro Boy. I think it is, like, if you were probably in any semblance of love for its original guys as a manga or an anime or even just a cultural thing, like, they very much have done what I thought they would do, which is someone in Hollywood saw a Astro Boy annual or something like that, had a thumb through and went, oh, that looks pretty cool. Do you want to make a movie about that? And go, yeah, yeah, all right. And, like, that's that's the extent to which it's, it, it is, like, you know, um, 
paying homage or doing it justice or whatever. But like, you know, if you're an Astro Boy fan, I have a funny feeling you didn't even have to see this movie to probably tell you that would be your reaction. It is absolutely just grand and fine. And the fact that it's not a Pixar or a DreamWorks thing means that it will never be watched by anyone ever. So there you go. I think there is like this kind of hierarchy of movies like this and all of movies like this, they're just designated for the scrap heap of history. Like we just chuck them overboard to the side and then put like Cars 3 on a pedestal like it should. But you know, for me, it's as good as Cars 2. Yeah, it's uh, this... This film with its little robo machine gun in butts is as good as cars with mouths. Uh, you know, how how do the cars run? How do the cook droids run? You know, these are questions in this lifetime um, we, we might not get. Thank goodness for fan fiction. Um, <laughs> that's my takeaway of, of, of Astro Boys. Thank goodness for a cook droid fan fiction uh, because I am very, very ill. Um, but I, th- I think that's uh, as poetic <laughs> an ending <laughs> to wrap up on as anything else. Um, so I say, as we come to the end of proceedings here, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having uh, me. Absolute pleasure uh, to talk about all things Astro Boy with you. Um, for the listeners of this old podcast, whatever this thing is, um, where can we find you on the old socials? Well, you can find me at Kevin Mann with an F because I used to be a teacher who moonlit as a podcaster and I didn't want anyone to find out and uh, it worked. No one ever did. So you can follow my podcast if you like wrestling, Attitude Era Podcast, at AE Podcast, and How to Wrestling. You can find those and all my podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your pods and if you like movies which i assume you do because you're listening to a movie podcast cinema swirl my long-running show with my good pal sam chaplin where we look at movies that he's never seen because he grew up not seeing movies star wars back to the future ghostbusters you know that type of a thing and we've done a couple of jaunts into the world of nicholas cage particularly as well over on our patreon page where we've got cinema swill We've delved in for a little bit of that Nick Cage bin water action there as well. You can support all my podcasts on their various Patreon pages. And if you want to see something a little bit different, Podcrabs, wherever you get your podcasts. I've got a new podcast series up there now called It's Raw, where I review kitchen nightmares with my pal Adam and my partner Joe. So, yes, many podcasts for all occasions, mostly wrestling wonderful stuff if you like wrestling if you like that nick cage swill and it's the tastiest bin water on offer then go and check out that uh all that smorgasbord of podcast goodness uh but we wrap up here um astro boy done it's in the history books next week it's bad lieutenant port of call new orleans be there be square but until then keep on keep on caging it's all you have to do thank you take care and goodbye